The Indie Insider Podcast is presented by Blackshell Media, a publishing and marketing firm working to help independent video game developers reach massive audiences, publish financially successful titles, and turn game development into a career. The company also offers educational resources for aspiring and experienced developers alike, which is why we get to bring this show to you every week. For more on Blackshell Media, visit blackshellmedia.com. Welcome to Indie Insider, presented by Blackshell Media. This is the weekly show where we talk with video game developers and professionals about their stories, their advice for others, and their thoughts on the indie video game industry. I'm Logan Schultz, and this is our 50th episode. Of course, our special guest today is Nolan Bushnell, founder of Atari and father of the video game industry. And he has incredible thoughts to share on why indie video games are changing the world, current trends in technology, education in the video game industry, being a father, and much, much more. It's an interview I'm very proud of, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. But before we get there, we have some other exciting things to get through. First, I have some friends of the show who would like to say hi and share what they've been up to. Hey, this is Andy from Games Graffiti over at Play NYC. I just wanted to congratulate Logan and Blackshell Media for 50 episodes of Indie Insider. Jane and I finished up work on Salmon Roll, showed at Play NYC, and had a blast. Hello to Logan and Blackshell Media, and congratulations on 50 episodes. Uh, this is Anne, or the Happy Cat here, and I've been working hard on a project since I was last on, so look forward to previews coming out in 2018. Thanks, and congrats again! Hey, this is Dirk Niemeyer from Artana and the Game Design Roundtable. I'm busy making games and making game design podcasts, but want to take a minute and just say congrats, Logan and Blackshell Media. 50 episodes of the Indie Insider is fantastic, and here's to 50 more. What's up? It's Lawrence from Goodnight Games. Just wanted to say congratulations, Logan and Indie Insider. 50 episodes. That's some big moves right there. You guys are trucking along. Since the episode, Goodnight Games has been up to a lot of cool stuff, working hard over here. We've got Plunder Kings, the first gambling meet shoot 'em up game, coming out in uh, November, December. And as always, you can follow all our crazy exploits at, at Goodnight Games on Twitter and Instagram. Shout out to Logan and everybody at Black Shell. Great job, guys. Hey, Indie Insider listeners, this is Raghav Matha from Black Shell Media. I wanted to thank you all so much for following our podcast and for believing in us. Over the past couple of years, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to work with so many developers and companies to help them navigate the space and to connect with so many awesome developers making so many awesome games. I hope we get to meet even more of you in the future, and I really hope you all keep listening to our podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, Please don't hesitate to get in touch. We always love hearing from developers excited to share their awesome games. Thanks so much. Hey there, this is Kate Edwards, game industry advocate at large and former executive director of the International Game Developers Association, and I just wanted to say a huge congratulations to Logan and Blackshell Media for reaching the 50th episode of Indie Insider. I think that is awesome. I've been proud to be a part of this, and thank you for involving me, and I just wish you guys the very best in the future, and just keep on moving and be mighty. Hey, this is Timo from Navali. I want to give a big shout out to Indie Insider. Special thanks to Logan as well, and keep up the good work. Hey, this is Alex Nikita. And this is Alex Nate. From the Underground King. Congratulations Logan and Black Shell Media for 50 episodes from Indie Insider. 
Since we've been on the show, we've been working hard on the game and we'll release it on Air Console soon. And in early 2018, we will launch it via Early Access on Steam. So follow us on Facebook and Twitter for news and giveaways. Thanks. Thanks. Hey, this is Rebecca from Latina Geek, and I just wanted to say congratulations to Logan and Blackshell Media for 50 episodes of Indie Insider. Uh, I've been hard at work as a QA tester for the Pathifier expansion by Guild Wars 2, um, as well as Geek Girl Con design work. You can uh, support my project, rabrocha.com, R-A-B is in boy, R-O-C-H-A, and also go to geekgirlcon.com. Thanks, guys! Hey, this is Rocky from episode 41 from Serious Game Devs Only. I just wanted to say a huge congrats to Logan and Blackshell Media for 50 episodes of Indie Insider. Thanks for providing amazing perspectives and inspiration to the game development community. My team and I have been working on some new marketing content for indie developers since I was on the show, and I'm super excited to share it when it's ready. I feel extremely lucky that I've been able to host this show for 50 episodes. Helping share the lessons and advice of people whom I admire with those of you seeking it is something that makes me so happy. I'm looking forward to the next 50 episodes and getting to share them all with you. But hey, if you're like me and love getting free stuff, then you aren't here to listen to me get all nostalgic. You're here because we're holding a 50th episode giveaway valued at almost $900. The main reason we're doing this giveaway is because we could use more iTunes reviews. They're an important way for others to find our show and for us to continue to grow. So check out the giveaway link in the description for chances to enter. Of course, we'll also share it on social media, in email blasts, etc., so don't miss it. And I personally am really excited about the prizes that we have. We're calling it the Game Developers Level Up Pack, and it includes a signed copy of previous guest Chris Solarski's book, Interactive Stories and Video Game Art, a copy of Level Up, the Guide to Great Video Game Design by previous guest Scott Rogers, a signed copy of Up, Down, Up, Down, Left, Right by previous guest Nathan Minier, and a package of services from Indie Game U, granting you access to the Inner Circle Group and the Big Idea Debata program to help you get your next game off the ground. Plus, if you win, you can come onto this show and interview with me, a guest of your choosing. Of course, the guest is subject to availability, but we'll do everything we can to make it happen, and you can be a part of the show. Thanks to Blackshell Media, Chris Salarski, Nathan Minier, and Mark Soderwall for being a part of this giveaway. You all have two weeks to enter this giveaway, so go and make it happen. We need your help. All right, look, we've heard from previous guests of the show. I'm getting all nostalgic. We have a giveaway running now. I don't think there's any reason to delay any longer. Let's get on to our interview with Nolan Bushnell, founder of Atari. Uh, But just so you know, because of some technical difficulties, the audio for this interview, it's not the best we've ever had on the show, but it's also not the worst. However, the content definitely is some of the best we've ever had, so I hope you'll bear with us so as not to miss anything exceptional from Mr. Nolan Bushnell himself. All right, here's that interview. Thank you, Mr. Bushnell, for taking the time to chat with me. I know you're a very busy man, and and rightfully so. You are, uh, of course, known for being the founder of Atari and actually also being uh, the founder of Chuck E. Cheese. This is a story that has been pretty well documented. Yeah, some some would say ad nauseum. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, um, one telling of your story that I, I actually really enjoyed was from NPR's podcast, How I Built This. 
I'd actually highly recommend um, people, audience members who aren't familiar with your story, uh, go and check that show out. Uh, so I have to ask, what does it feel like to have your story told, you know, as you say, ad nauseum? You know what? I have been doing this so much that I actually don't even read it. I, like, I haven't really heard, listened to that particular NPR thing. Oh, really? But people still like it, so I maybe should go back and try to document what people liked <laughs> about it. <laughs> well, this is the Indie Insider Podcast, so I'm curious to pick the brain of Nolan Bushnell and learn what he thinks about the current indie video game scene. Do you have any early thoughts on uh, indie video games right now? Well, I, I love the, the indie uh, space for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, the tools today make everything easy. Mm-hmm. You know, every year it gets easier and easier to make a game. And whenever things become easier, it opens up the pathway to innovation. Sure. Because the risks are lower, you get more people with divergent views. Uh, I think it makes the game world more vibrant. Uh, and I think that's best uh, manifest by the, uh, the indie movement. Um, you know, game mods uh, are, are something else that I think is really cool. Uh, and and it's, it's kind of part of that indie movement, but it's, it's taken a a popular meme and putting it into uh, a new level of refinement or, or, or differentiation. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I think right now we might be in the golden age of, uh, of game innovation. So what exactly do you mean by that? I mean, the golden age of game innovation, that's a pretty impressive term. Right now, uh, we have all the um, the elements of, of explosive change. Um, for example, we have uh, now augmented reality and virtual reality, which is starting to actually have a marketplace. Mm-hmm. We have cell phones, which represent a massive uh, ability to affect people, you know, geographically as well as uh as visually so that uh you can play games on the subway you can play uh pokemon go type things in which you're questing uh geologically um also uh even though it's not a video game but there's a massive resurgence of board games uh, you know where people are playing very, very fun, sometimes extremely complex board games. Um, and, and, and I think that that, that whole thing, that, this, that whole frothy environment uh, keeps brains fresh and explores boundaries and uh, uh, amuses and, and challenges and, uh, and allows you to take fantasies in very, very wonderful ways. And, uh, and I think fantasies are an important building block of a happy future. So you mentioned that the tools are so available. 
Do you have any concerns that the tools are, are ever too available? Are you worried about the crowded marketplace? Well, there's, it's a massive crowded marketplace, but um, that is more a financial question than it is a creative question. Creativity is, um, is exploding. Um, and that gives rise to the power of, of, um, of social media as a way to separate the wheat from the chaff. It also gives a, a value to the editor, uh, in which you follow an editor that, uh, that becomes important to you, um, as a way to separate insanity from reality. Um, and I think that all, I think that's all good. Um, because, you know, just like, are there too many books being published? You know, one could say, you know, the library contrast Congress with its millions and millions of books, you know, clearly no one can read all those. So you find that you get certain authors and you like their work and you, uh, you have certain memes that you like, and uh, like I, I am a huge science fiction lover. Sure. And and I have my favorite authors, and anything they come out with, and I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fanboy, and so so I think that uh, that that works uh, pretty well, um, and. Uh, but the creative process, I mean, the democratization, even of the book market now is exciting, where you don't have to go to a Simon Schuster. You, you can just go on to Amazon, link up, and publish your, self-publish your book. And if it's good, people will find you. I mean, guys like Hugh Howie and some of the people that have, have uh, made wonderful lives for themselves by... Uh, by this democratization and uh, the uh, castration of the gatekeepers. I kind of like that. I think the gatekeeper should be castrated. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I can appreciate that. So I have to ask, uh, who are some of your favorite science fiction writers? Uh, what are these books that you love so much? Oh, I think my favorite of all books... Um, is a four-book series from Dan Simmons called Hyperion, ah, okay. and and it's and it's kind of halfway between. I mean, it's science fiction, but it's got an awful lot of, of philosophy and human drama, and uh, you know, good versus evil, and and, uh, and the whole idea of of uh, worlds that could be, uh, which I like. I also like Neil Stevenson a lot. I think uh, I think his Diamond Age is is going to become a science fiction classic that is uh, is wonderful. Um, I I think Patrick Nuttall, you know, in terms of uh, space combat, is really fun to read. <laughs> I mean, you know, if some of these are are more. Uh, like junk, I, I call it junk food reading, where uh, you know some sometimes the spy thrillers, the, the uh, Vince Rap, and some of those things they're 
their guilty pleasures, if you would, as opposed to, you know, do you learn a little bit of geography? Do you learn a little bit of history? Yeah, but mostly it's just tough guys taking out bad guys. And that's always satisfying. <laughs> sure, fair. Uh, so here's a question for you. Many people who listen to this show ask me about their location. Uh, if their location in the world can be a hindrance to them making an impact in this industry. What, what do you think of that? You refer to yourself as a farm boy from Utah, and, and I'm from Iowa, so I get that. Uh, so I'm curious if you think that you need to be on the West Coast if you want to be in the video game industry. Absolutely not. In fact, uh, I'm often asked to speak in, you know, Central America, South America, Europe, Dubai, what have you. And, and I think sometimes what we miss is that everybody has a different cultural idea. And in the United States, we have many microcultures that are very different. I mean, somebody who grew up in the South has a different perspective on life. Uh, than somebody who grew up in Los Angeles. And so I think that differentiation comes from the diversity of thought and culture. So, so I'm happy with that. Um, also, the whole idea of, of where you are uh, sometimes can yield sameness, which isn't always wonderful either. In the early days, I, there is no question that Atari would not have been Atari if it hadn't been the Silicon Valley, because we were in the center of the chip business, and chips were so important to the early video game business, because uh, video wanted to go fast, and, and the chips didn't, <laughs> and so that, so that was always kind of a, of a problem. Um, you know, I've got an idea. One of the things that you might do is turn off your video, and I'll turn off mine, and it might give us a slightly different use of bandwidth. Sure. Worth a shot. Yeah. Because um, I think sometimes things get overloaded when you're trying to push too many bits down the line. Definitely possible. So, um, so, so the geography, I think, can be a, a, a benefit. For one thing, cost of living outside of Los Angeles and San Francisco is fractional <laughs> in many cases. I mean, you can, uh, in a lot of parts of the country, you can buy a house for what a month's rent is <laughs> in yeah, L.A. Yeah, that's true, exactly. And so, so I think that, um, you know, if you don't have to, if, if you can make a living on the web, uh, it can be a modest living and you can look like a king in, in other parts of the country. Hmm. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting point. Well, you mentioned Atari and being in Silicon Valley and how important that was for you at that time. So I want to ask you about finding and also seizing opportunity. Do you think that when it comes to Atari, you were just in the right place at the right time, or, or was there more to it than that? I think I was absolutely in the right place at the right time. And and I there's a uh, 
a book um, that that really talks about that. It's uh, Malcolm Gladwell when he talks about you know a lot of times the the world arranges itself uh, for you. For example, I believe that in the '60s I was the only human being on the planet that understood the game business and understood computer video technology and um, you know managing the amusement park games department gave me the financial underpinnings of the amusement business and then being at the University of Utah when Dr. Evans was being one of the first guys hooking up monitors to computers in a, in a meaningful way mm-hmm. uh, nobody else had that and so uh, I think that I was absolutely in the right place at the right time. And it sounds like your education and your background kind of um, unknowingly prepared you to seize that opportunity when it came up. Do you think that education is an important thing for other, I mean, uh, like a formal college education, do you do you see that as really important in this industry? No. I, I'm, I'm increasingly negative, skeptical, and some would even say hostile to current current college education. Um, For example, I think that so much of what is taught in college when it comes to real skills um, is, 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 is problematic. And, and you can climb into the debate of what, what is an educated person? Um, but we have a huge number of master's degree bartenders and Uber drivers. Yeah. Um, I, I call them uh, academic unemployables. And um, while shouldering huge mountains of debt, um, like I, I just feel like I want to strangle some some of the high school principals uh, that who's who consider their success on how many kids they got accepted into college. When in fact, uh, I'd believe that over half of those kids being encouraged to enter college are going to incur a lot of student debt and gain no real life skills uh, so that they'll be paying off student debt, living in mom's basement and having really kind of a shitty life as a result of it. So what would you recommend to those who might be in high school and are are trying to figure out how to start in video games? Well, today, if you're passionate, you can learn whatever you want to on the web. I mean, in some ways, I'm not sure the college would even exist if the web had been uh, uh, available 200 years ago. I think that uh, the idea of, of uh, spending all this money to extend your adolescence uh, wouldn't even occur to them. Um, I mean, there are kids right now who are 11 years old that have taught themselves unity and are building 
apps and doing a pretty damn good job of it. Yeah. Uh, and so, so somebody who's in high school saying, gee, I'm going to get into the video game business. And I asked them, I said, okay, how many video games have you, have you written? And they said, well, you know, I'm still in high school. I haven't learned how. And I said, you're lazy shit. (laughs) (laughs) You know, know, that's, that's, that's an unacceptable answer. Sure. You do what you want to do. I mean, the number of, of people who are making great livings on with their own YouTube channels when they're in their early teens. Um, you know, the doors are there. You just have to have the passion to go find them. Um, I have eight children. Half of them graduated college and half of them haven't. And there's absolutely no difference in their, uh, in their, uh, successful outcome they're all in their 20s and 30s now actually we were lucky enough to have one of your children on the podcast already i spoke with uh tyler bushnell about his company polycade right oh he's he's so into that and oh see he basically (laughs) he basically did a kickstarter designed polycade you know he he didn't he didn't graduate from college. He dropped out and started working and became a very successful engineer. Uh, I mean, he probably, of my kids, he's the database champion of the world. Uh, you know, and, you know, of course, he happens to have an IQ that's off the charts, but that's another story <laughs> for another time. <laughs> Well, I want to get back to being um, a father and a parent in just a minute, but before we get there, uh, you were talking about education and everything you can learn on the web. Was that some of your thinking behind uh, your company, Brain Rush? Yes. Uh, It it turns out that if you were to look at the brain science of learning and, and match that to the current way of teaching, School does it a hundred percent wrong, <laughs> and so, so the reality is that a lecture, a book, uh, a video, all of that is passive learning. Your brain is actually designed to forget, not to not to remember, and it's the it's when things are active, that's when you learn, and so. If you focus on active learning as opposed to passive learning, you can accelerate it by probably a factor of 10. I, I believe that properly done using computer education and uh, diminishing lecture and passive things, that you could learn everything that you need to know in high school in about six months. Wow. Truncating four years into six months. Uh, that's a eight to one increase in efficiency. And so that allows you to do a whole bunch more things that I think uh, can lead to a better and happier life. Sure, which brings us to Brain Rush. So uh, for those who might not know, can you summarize what exactly Brain Rush is? Yeah, Brain Rush basically creates mini games that... Uh, pretty much are focused on the first five levels of Bloom's taxonomy, meaning 
learning about things, characteristics, attributes, what have you. And you have to respond every three to five seconds. What that says is it's massively efficient. Uh, for example, if you uh, are probably our best uh, example of that is uh, learning a foreign language vocabulary. Using BrainRush, uh, kids in Spanish 1, at the beginning, Spanish 2 had a working vocabulary of 1,500 to 2,000 words. Uh, if you didn't use BrainRush, you had a working vocabulary of 100 words, maybe 200. Wow. So it's 10x uh, increase in, in, in efficacy. Really quantifiable results there. Exactly. And so... And, you know, and it's not just language. We, we can teach you everything from, from simple math to uh, other things. And it's free. Go into brainrush.com. And uh, geography, I mean, without brainrush, I never under, I could never pick out the, uh, uh, the names of the countries in Africa. You know, <laughs> there's a bunch of them and they change a lot. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, is that something that you see as a pretty important trend in the technology and video game industry? Games as education? Yeah, I'm actually going to be keynoting the series play conference at George Mason University uh, later on this month. And serious play, I mean, all the way from, from teaching uh, safety, uh, you know, job safety to, you know, a, uh, you know, legal theory to the things that you need to know to be an adult human being. Um, I think that they will, uh, it will slowly take over, but you understand that change always comes with creative destruction. That is there, there are the winners and the losers of change. The losers are the defenders of the status quo and the winners are the people who reap efficiency. Um, I mean, it's probably best uh, articulated by the Luddite Wars that happened in the early uh, 19th century. I mean, there were more British soldiers fighting the Luddites than Napoleon in 1840. Um, and the Luddites were the people who smashed automation and the, the looms and they were, they were anti-progress and uh, you're going to be seeing that more and more. I mean, look at the uh, uh, forces arrayed against Uber and Lyft, uh, you know, as the cab drivers create big protests and things like that. When, you know, the public says, Hey, I kind of like this service. And, uh, it gives me what I want, uh, and slowly, the the statists are being sort of uh, uh, worked off. And if you think that's bad, wait until the self driving cars come in. Uh, <laughs> that uh, the teamsters are not going to go quietly into the night. <laughs> I believe you. Uh, I know that you're someone who's very involved at the forefront of technology. Uh, you're wearing modal VR clothes right now, um, of which uh, you're a co-founder. So what are your thoughts about the trends at the front of technology right now, such as VR? Well, I'm also on the board of directors of Perone 
Robotics, which is a the number one uh, software company creating uh, um, self-driving technology, mm -hmm. and uh, and these are two areas that I'm very passionate about. But VR is is of course on the way to. On one stand, you can say the holodeck, or on the other hand, you could say the matrix. Um, and uh, and I actually kind of been asking the question: What is the Turing test for virtual reality, where virtual reality is indistinguishable from base reality, uh, which they clearly accomplished in the matrix, uh, and uh, and accomplished in the holodeck, but. Uh, We've got a long way to go in terms of our own technology today. But a synthetic universe, Westworld, what have you. Right. These are all really fun. Um, and I want to be able to go into a synthetic universe. Uh, it's, it's probably as close to time travel as we're going to get. <laughs> I mean, are you seeing this as something that's viable in the marketplace? Is this something that's meaningful? What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's going to be very meaningful. I like to say that we're in the Pong phase of virtual reality. Excellent. Uh, and so if you look at Pong versus, you know, League of Legends, uh, they're as different as cheese and chalk. And, uh, and so I think that we will slowly find that virtual reality increases um, and becomes more compelling uh, as life goes on. And, and remember, Entertainment is driven by novelty, and so the more novel you can be, the more different you can be, the more um, encapsulating. I mean, good games, good fantasy is about uh, uh, establishing permission to believe, and uh, better technology makes that permission easier. Now, I'm curious, you're a very busy person who currently sits on multiple boards, has co-founded multiple companies, et cetera, et cetera. How do you begin to go about managing your time? I delegate. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, there's a very interesting thing that I discovered is that um, there are people who really are good the things that I am horrible at. And, uh, and I love the technology. I love, I love strategy. I, I'm a game player. And I think that game playing, when applied to business, is really good. Um, and I think it's effective. Uh, if you create strategies, just as though uh, moving a product into the market is a game strategy. You can do really well rather than just going through the motions. And uh, and business changes. I mean, in the early days of Chuck E. Cheese, we didn't have social media. We didn't have anything uh, way to communicate except for children's television, which was you know that was kind of the be all and end all. Maybe a few billboards, but you know compared to the the palette of of media that we have today wow um it's it's you just have a much richer environment with which to plot strategy and when you have complexity 
then that makes it even more fun as a strategic person. You mentioned uh, delegating, and I previously mentioned uh, you're being a father. Now, I follow you on Twitter, and I noticed that you post quite a bit about being a father and, and being a family man. How do you recommend people go about working in this industry and, and also have a life and, and a family? The real question is, what is a good life? And how do you balance life? And, uh, and I think that uh, as we mature, we learn things. And that I've learned that um, working hard is not nearly as important as working smart, particularly when you're executive or when you're a creative person. And so um, time is the one commodity that is pretty much fixed. So what you do with your time becomes important. And I found that quality time was as important as a lot of time. And so I tried to integrate my kids with my work. I would take them to work all the time and, uh, and let them hang out and see what I did and, and uh, take them on business trips with me where they sit next to me uh, um, as a 10-year-old as I'm negotiating with the Japanese, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and, and I think that that, one of the one uh, I've always felt that the number one job of a father is to be the teacher, uh, and, and maybe the number one and, and the, the number one job of the mother is the teacher. But the father, I think, um, is is in a unique position to uh, be a little bit tougher on kids. Moms, you know, moms are always uh, the safe haven. And dads have the ability to say, you know, I'm going to be very unhappy with you if you screw up. <laughs> and, then, and to to sort of put some of the uh, the reality of the of the life. I mean, real life really doesn't care about my kids. Um, and so if they get used to the whole idea that mom's always there to protect them. Dad has to transition that to say, you know, no, the world is, is not necessarily a nice place, so you have to figure out a way to fit into it. And, uh, and I think that, uh, that taking time with your kids to teach them and to question them and to make them uh, critical thinkers. Uh, critical thinking is really really important because if you if you have a incorrect view of life of what's going on you're going to make huge mistakes um and if you think the world revolves around a point three inches behind your nose uh you're really going to be screwed up <laughs> you know you you say this from the perspective of a parent, but I, I think a lot of this applies to an aspiring developer as well, someone trying to make it into a budding industry and, and find their way. Absolutely. And, and you know, the, the, uh, the developer right now who thinks that just doing the best game without having a market strategy, I think, is, uh, is being a little foolish. Um, yeah. 
if you get the right game, um, you maybe don't have to worry about the marketing, but uh, then you're you're playing the game that's equivalent to buying a lottery ticket. Hmm. Yeah, you might get you might get hit with with uh, with lightning, but to say that you're going to come up with the next Angry Birds um, is is more like buying a lottery ticket. Uh, yeah, you can look around and see the people who have won, but uh, if you tried to interview all the people that have lost with that strategy, uh, you don't have time. And, you know, you don't have enough time in the universe to interview all those people. Actually, this reminds me of a quote you said on uh, that NPR podcast I mentioned earlier. You said, quote, being entitled is probably one of the ugliest things a person can be, end quote. I mean, that has to be true for a lot of developers in that they need to come into this industry ready to hustle all the way down to the marketing, like you said. Absolutely. Well, you know, my kids grew up with me being successful and and I made it clear to them that there was a difference between my money and their money and that uh, that they were ne- they were never going to get a penny from me <laughs> and that you know including including the uh, uh, the the price of a movie ticket um that's not to say I didn't buy them a movie ticket once in a while, but uh, it's a thing where if they'd come to me and say, you know, I need $20, I need to go out with my friends tonight, and I'd say, well, hey, we got some weeds that need to be pulled out there. I'll give you $20 if you pull those weeds. Sure. And, and, you know, and, and, and the kids got used to that, you know, that it was, you know, what are you going to do? You know, how are you going to earn your money? And, uh, you know, will I help them with their education while I help put a roof over their head and, and, and food in their mouth. Yeah. But even like on, on holidays, uh, where we'd be in a car trip, you know, when you're going to on a, on a, a vacation, you're always going to give your kids money, but I'd, I'd actually make them earn it by learning to recite a poem, uh, in the car. And, uh, you know, I'd say, I'll give you five bucks if you, if you memorize this poem. And so they, they'd all memorize it and I'd all give them five bucks. They didn't quite figure out that I was probably going to end up giving them the five bucks or the 20 bucks, uh, once, once we got at our destination anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, um, it's this idea of quid pro quo, which if you're going to have successful children, they've got to have that. Tattooed, tattooed to the inside of their eyeballs. Well, one other thing I wanted to talk to you about is maintaining inspiration and motivation. You've worked for a long time with many companies and across you know, multiple industries. How did you manage to keep going even when things got tough? And I'm sure, I'm sure things must have gotten tough at least a few times. Oh, man. Well, that's, that's the other point. If you, if you think that success is just going to be uh, singing Kumbaya around the campfire. You are in big, <laughs> a big rude awakening. Um, because the reality is, is that, uh, and I'm, I'm going to do a quote from Bob Noyce, one of the founders of, of Intel, which is, who was one of my mentors. And he said, uh, 
you know, if the other guy's business is too, um, looks too easy, uh, you don't know enough about it. Uh, and, and he's so right. I'm telling you that, uh, that you've got to take the slings and arrows because, you know, no strategy is perfect. Sun Tzu, you know, no plan, battle plan succeeds, uh, uh, engagement with the enemy. And you've got to be fast on your feet and you've got to be smart, but you really got to be resilient. Did you have any tricks to be resilient? What did you do when you were strapped for cash and, and trying to make something work? You know, I, I think that part of my DNA, and I, and I have no idea where I got it, but um, I'm a problem solver. And I, I never took business reverses personally. I, I would, I, well, not to say that I wouldn't say, wouldn't take responsibility and say, boy, you know, I really screwed that one up. I didn't see that one coming and, 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 and take that, but I'd say, okay, now what am I going to do to fix it? And, and, uh, to me, fixing things has always been an interesting endeavor. Um, but it's like in chess, you know, you can be, you know, all of a sudden you lose a bishop and you say, oh man, I'm in real trouble. Now, what am I going to do to get out of that? And, uh, and sometimes you lose the game. But that doesn't mean that you go into a funk, you set the pieces up and you play again. Yeah, I mean, let's take that even a step further. How do you deal with failure? There are a lot of developers out there making their dream games, and it ends up just falling flat. What do you do then? Well, like I say, you just look at it as a game, and you look at it as as as, as the the um, probabilities. I mean, the 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 simple fact is, I have an extraordinarily successful record at, at good games i've also created some of the biggest stinkers you've ever seen but the nice thing about stinkers is people don't see them and they don't they don't know how many really crappy games that i've thought of <laughs> and uh and a lot of times they were so crappy that the minute they were coded up i'd say oh this is really a crappy game and it was obvious um and it's sometimes invisible. Um, and later on in Atari, we we did a pool game, you know, billiards on a video billiards game. And I said, this is going to be the greatest game ever. And uh, and my president of the time says, you know, I, I don't think so. And I said, I'll bet it goes over ten thousand units, which in the coin-operated game business was a big number at the time. Sure. And uh, I think we sold seven. <laughs> anyway, that's but and and you get few of those, and it um, it humbles you, but at the same time, it it also tells you to um, to be a little bit cynical about your own wonderfulness. Um, I like to say I've never had an idea I didn't like, um, but that doesn't mean it's a good idea. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, well, 
I don't want to keep you too terribly long, and, and I so appreciate you taking the time to talk with me, but I'm curious, where do you think the video game industry will be in five, ten years? Well, I think that there's going to be several things to look for. I always look for new platforms, and you know, if you're if you're dealing with something new, um, you have a tremendous opportunity to innovate um, because it's a green field. For example, I'm fascinated right now with the Amazon Echo, um, you know, and Alexa. What's are we having fun today? Hmm, I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> but now here's the question. Is Alexa a game platform? Can we? Hmm, I don't know that. <laughs> see, she doesn't know. But I kind of do. I think it is. And uh, I think that uh, if I were to be doing a startup right now, I would be designing, I would turn Echo into a dungeon master. I would try to figure out how a voice-mediated game, board game could be built. Uh, I would try to think about how can, and you know, Amazon will put your code into the server on Alexa and give you the tools in there and do a lot of fun things. And, uh, and so I believe that that's going to be a platform. Um, look at the Internet of Things, where all of a sudden we are finding our, our homes are wired and that we have multiple input-output devices all over the house. How do we turn that into a game? How do we add our own IoT object into our homes to make it a uh, our homes into a universal medium look for cracks look for things that haven't been done uh and sometimes you can it's like prospecting you know trying something that has never been done just might be uh that gold vein that you can follow down into bedrock and create a fortune well, hey, is there anything that you're working on now that you want people to keep an eye on? Well, I think modal VR. We are uh, we're in we're, we call ourselves industrial scale, and we will be in a mall near you probably if you're in um, in California this Christmas, and if you're elsewhere in the world, it'll be the following Christmas, and we'll have we uh, we're going to set up some virtual reality haunted houses that's just going to scare the shit out of me. <laughs> and then probably by Christmas, I hope to have my book out on video game theory. So oh, right. I want you all to go out and, and buy several copies and give them away for Christmas presents. <laughs> and you said that specifically on game development and design, correct? Correct. And, and, and sort of the underlying things, how do you, how do you, fascinate a person's brain with your game design what are the, what are some of the keys and uh and i'll try to make make that as clear as i can or at least the the, the knowledge that i have 
Well, the very last thing I'll ask of you is the same thing I ask of all of my guests, which is if you have any last pieces of advice you'd like to send people home with today, anything that's been true for you or has really resonated with you recently that might be useful for somebody else out there, um, either trying to get off the ground or or stuck with something and and might be in a similar position. Just do it. Um, I think that um, a lot of people are entrepreneurs, not entrepreneurs. They want to be an entrepreneur, but they don't really work at it that much. And there's a lot of people who think that they can't be an entrepreneur until they raise money. And that's like the kiss of death. Uh, Most people who are raising money have done a lot of successful things. And don't try to do anything that you can't afford to do with your back pocket. And then don't forget that a lot of times you have to earn a living. And so what can you accomplish in weekends and and, and evenings? And, uh, I mean, Atari got started weekends and evenings. Um, we didn't, we didn't do, and we didn't really get it started until we'd been really working on a project for, for almost a year. So, so go out and do it, but start on it right now and uh, accomplish things and figure that you're not going to raise a penny until you've been successful at something small. Yeah, that's really, really sound advice. Uh, thank you so much for coming onto the show and letting me pick your brain. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And uh, we'll figure this technical thing out one of these days. Thank you for joining us for our 50th episode. It has been my immense honor to share these interviews and stories with all of you, and I'm certain it's only going to get better from here. Please support by reviewing our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast service. It means so much more than you know and helps others find our show. Plus, if you do it through the giveaway link, you could win a prize package valued at almost $900, which (laughs) I still think is actually pretty awesome. If you have thoughts, questions, or ideas you'd like to share, you can email me at logan at blackshowmedia.com or reach out on Twitter at indie underscore insider or at Logan A. Schultz. That's L-O-G-A-N-A-S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. You can also find us on Instagram under the name Indie Insider. The show is on iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast services across the web, as well as the Black Shell Media blog, so find us wherever you are. Special thanks this week goes out to Nolan Bushnell, Raghav Mather, Daniel Doan, and Raquel Hayner, as well as Benjamin Tiso over at bensound.com for the use of his song, Going Higher. And of course, a special thanks to all of those friends and previous guests of the show who sent in their audio files and wanted to be a part of this special occasion. We're so grateful to have all of you be a part of the Indie Insider legacy. And finally, I'm Logan Schultz, and you've been listening to Indie Insider. Thank you all so much for 50 episodes. I couldn't have done it without you. And we'll see you all next week.